Well, thank you again for having me. Um, it is a deep privilege to be with you this morning, um, to be here again. I was here about a year ago, uh, preached one other time. So I am from, I'm a native Texan from this area, and I've been at UNT for the last two years um, serving college students, and it's a joy. And I'm here specifically to thank you, to thank you for your uh, this church's partnership in the gospel work on UNT's campus. Your church financially supports the work that we do there, and God is at work. He's meeting people, students, where they're at, and, and showing them the goodness and the glories of the gospel. And it's my privilege to, to, to have a church like y'all's church to come alongside us financially, prayerfully supporting us, and to be, be able to come back and to thank you uh, thank you so much for that. It's such a gift. If you want to uh, talk to me more about what's going on RUF, um, I'll be out there afterwards. There's also a sign-up sheet where you can sign up for emails to get regular updates as to what's happening. Um, a couple, there's some pins and stickers and a little pamphlet as well um, if you're interested in those things. But we're going to read uh, from Psalm 27 this morning and hear what God has to say to us. So join me as I read Psalm 27. It says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Even when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked the Lord that I will seek after, that I, I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent, he will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head is, shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray this morning um, that we would have confidence in your word confidence in you and confidence in your truth that the words that are preached are not merely from one man but um, 
the confidence we can have is in, is in you, your words, your truth, your goodness. We pray all these things in Christ's name this morning. All right, have you ever been conned in your life? <laughs> you know, scammed before in your life? Well, I have. Let me tell you about it. Uh, right when I graduated from college, I had a degree, but I did not have much money, uh, as many people do. I didn't have much money, but I realized that I had many assets. And I would have to apologize to David at this point, but I had most of those assets were musical instruments. And I started deciding, hey, if I sold off these musical instruments, I could have the money that I need. So I did. I sold a saxophone. I sold a guitar amp, an electric guitar. I sold an acoustic guitar. I sold a drum set. And eventually I had to sell what was one of my prized possessions, which was a hammered dulcimer. Now, there might be only a couple people in this room that knows what that is, but it's, it's this Appalachian folk instrument. It's basically a trapezoid with strings across it. You hit it with wooden mallets. It sounds beautiful. It's kind of like a harp. But it had to go. So I put it up on eBay. And seemed like moments later, I got a hit back. A guy said, oh, I really want your hammer dulcimer. I'm excited about this. Let's work this out. I'm like, great. I need the money. Let's do this. So he, he finally sends me an email back and says, hey, so here's the situation. I have a friend coming through Nashville, that's where I lived at the time, who is buying a bunch of musical instruments in the area. So what I would be helpful for me is if I sent you a check, you could cash the check, take the money from the hammer dulcimer, hand off the rest of the money. It was a check for more than the amount. Hand off the rest of the money and the hammer dulcimer, and the guy will go on his merry way. So he sent me a Western Union check. I got it in the mail. I was excited about it. Some of you are like, this is really suspicious. But I was not suspicious at this point. But thankfully, this is the, the benefit of community groups. I went to my community group that night, told them about the situation. They knew my financial woes. And I explained that I got the check. I was ready to go cash it the next day. And they said, don't cash that check, Justin. So his, his goal was that I would cash the check, the check would bounce, I would be on the hook for all of the money. So I'm glad for my friends. But the work of a con man is that you might place your confidence or your trust in him. He only is as good as the way that he can get your confidence in him. And this morning we're going to talk about confidence. What does it mean to have confidence? Confidence is some sort of reliance or trust in something or someone. That you place your trust or reliance in that thing or someone. It's kind of like a chair. Every, every day, you don't even think about it anymore, but you place your confidence in a chair when you sit in it. You rely, you trust that it's going to hold you up. <laughs> But the problem with confidence is this. Sometimes chairs break. You lose confidence in life. Sometimes you get the cancer diagnosis. Sometimes the market crashes. You lose confidence in another person. You lose confidence in yourself. So where do we find confidence in this life from day to day? Who can we 
really trust. And that's David's whole agenda in this psalm. Who can we trust? Who can we have confidence in? So three points this morning. Why do we want confidence? Secondly, where is confidence found? And thirdly, what does confidence look like? So first, why do we want confidence? So look at the first three verses again. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. David is looking around and he's saying, Whom shall I fear? And you kind of want to say, Maybe the army? <laughs> Maybe the, uh, the evildoer that wants to eat up your flesh? Maybe the adversaries and foes and the war that is raging outside of this place? Maybe those are some things to fear, David. Is this David being uh, naively optimistic about his circumstances in life? Is this David being hyper-spiritual about things? Oh, just don't worry about those difficulties out there. It's all going to be good. Is he just grinning and bearing it? Or is this type of confidence possible? in our lives. Because most of us have had these experiences where the chair has broken in our lives. And we wonder, is there anything I can trust? Is there anyone that I can confide in? And we have very real fears that we face every single day. Some of you, your job is at risk. Or you have the boss that hates you. You really don't know that you can trust or have confidence that it's going to be okay or better. Some of you are, are facing some sort of uncertain financial future. You don't know if the money's going to be in the bank when you need it to be there. Some of you are in a, have a broken relationship in your life and you don't know, can I trust this person again? Can I trust the future? Some of you have a nagging sin that's in your life and it comes rearing its head all the time and you want it to go away but you just can't you don't know if it ever will. Some of you, your health is waning or you get the report. What can I trust? Where can I have confidence in life? And Christianity is honest about this reality. Many things in life are actually uncertain. Many things in life are more fearful and difficult around us. Sin has actually created chaos in this world, and we live in a world of chaos and things that we can't grasp. I know you all went through Ecclesiastes recently. Solomon describes it as trying to shepherd the wind, trying to like get the wind to do what you want it to do. That some things in life we can't do that. <laughs> this world is uncertain and it's difficult. There's so many things to fear. And that's exactly when we need and why we need confidence in this life. And all of us are looking for someone or something to provide some sort of stability or reliance or trust. So where? Where can we find it? Well, what are the options? If you were to Google confidence today, or YouTube confidence today, I don't know if that's a verb, but it is now. YouTube confidence. 
you would have probably a billion hits. Because confidence is a, is a big thing in our world today. Self-help is a big thing in the world today. And what they would all tell you, um, well, actually, if you, you Googled it, it would say things like this. Nine ways to boost your confidence at work. 25 killer actions to boost your self-confidence. 63 ways to build self-confidence. That was the first page that I Googled. 63, just tick off all those 63 boxes. And what they all boil it down to is that the problem you have with confidence and trust and reliance in your life is that you just need a little bit more self-esteem. You just need a little bit more self-confidence. Actually, what you need to do is to trust and rely and believe in yourself. That what we need to be able to make it and face these problems is just a little bit more affirmation. We need a little bit of um, the SNL character Stuart Smalley, if you remember him. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And if we tell ourselves that enough, then maybe we can make it through all these really hard things in our lives. Well, let me tell you a story. When I was in youth group, um, the very first time I was decided to go on the skiing trip, I had never been skiing before, but I went skiing with the youth group. And what they told us as we went was you had to go to a full day of class to learn how to ski before you could ski the rest of the week. So me and my buddy, his name was Matt, decided to go. We went to the class, and about halfway through the class, we had it figured out. You know, I knew how to stop on the, on the bunny slopes. So we skipped the second half of the class. So we got on the bunny slopes, and we were doing those fine, so let's move up. We went to the greens and got a handle of those. That's fine, let's move up. We went to the blues, only a few falls, not too bad. Right, let's just do this thing. So by the end of the, end of the day, I'm on a chairlift going to the top of the mountain. And the only way down, I found out, was a black. But I had done all the other things. Of course I could handle this. So I, I push off, and I start heading down and just speeding straight down the mountain. And up ahead of me is this hump that I have never seen before. And I hit that thing, and my skis go this way, my poles go this way, my goggles fly off, and I roll down the rest of the mountain. I'm told this is called our yard sale. So... All of my confidence built up. Pride goes before the fall, as they say. G.K. Chesterton puts it this way. He says, complete self-confidence is not merely a sin. Complete self-confidence is a weakness. It is unwise at best, and we know that it can't cut it. <laughs> but secondly, I would say it's more than that. Complete self-confidence is a denial of God's sovereign rule in our lives. It's thinking that we can do it. We will make it happen. We have to make it happen. And yet James warns us of this. Listen to what James says. James 4, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, 
we will live and do this or that. As it is, your boast is, it, your boast is in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Our confidence cannot be in ourself. Our self-confidence is not in ourself. It is arrogance before our God. So how do we think of ourselves properly? How do we consider ourselves before God? Well, we have to do what David does. And what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones always tells us to do is to start with God. (laughs) We have very real needs Uh, What one pastor says, if we start with our legitimate needs, we will find illegitimate means to meet those needs. Rather, we have to start with God. Look again, what does David do? Verse 1 again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Verse 5. The Lord is my shelter. He will conceal me. He will lift me up. I will be lifted up above my enemies. Notice, David is saying, not that the Lord gives these things, but the Lord is these things. The Lord is my light. He is my salvation. He is my stronghold. And without Him, I have none of those things. I cannot make it on my own. God is these things. And in Him, I have these things. And outside of Him, I do not. So where does he go to remind himself of this? Verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I may seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He says, And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. He goes to the temple. He goes to worship. He comes into this place gathering with the people of God to remind himself who is this God that we serve. He goes to worship and he goes specifically, he says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To meditate and to wonder and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Why is this important? Because when you're taking up, taken up with something beautiful, whether that's a picture or a scene or music, you forget about yourself. You become preoccupied with that thing. You're transfixed. You're brought into it. Like a beautiful sunset or or the Grand Canyon, you become lost in it. I remember when my wife and I went to the Grand Canyon, it was freezing outside. But as soon as we looked into the vastness of the Grand Canyon, you forgot about the fact that it was freezing. You were just taken up by the beauty of it. And what this does is it actually humbles us. It reminds us how small we are. And this is what David says in in Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? We turn outward. We turn away from ourselves. We place our confidence not in ourselves but in God. And we say, how great is our God? He created all of these things. And yet, I still think some of us have been disappointed or frustrated 
in God. And you might still say to me, all that glitters is not gold, Justin. How can I know for sure? How can I know for sure that he's not going to pull the rug out from me? How do I know that God is not a con man? What is this based on? Well, we see David wrestling with this, actually, in this psalm. He, he has all these grand proclamations about how we will not fear. Uh, he's trusting in God. And then verse 7, he turns to a prayer directly to God. Hear, O Lord, when I cry out. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. He cries out to God and he says, God, don't con me. Don't forsake me. I am placing my trust in you. How do we know that he won't? We have to turn our gaze again to the beauty and the wonders of the cross. I mean, listen to these words. David says, Turn not your servant away in anger. But what do we know about the cross? The, the, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus so that he would no longer be angry at us. So his wrath was not poured out on us. Listen again. He says, cast me not off. We know that Jesus was cast off. He was taken outside of the city and killed so that we would never be cast off. He says, forsake me not. <laughs> but Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me so that we would never be forsaken? The sins that we have committed, our lack of trust and confidence in Him, deserve punishment, and yet Christ willingly takes it in our place. Lovingly goes to the cross for us, that we might have confidence in the love of the Father for us. He is the beauty that we gaze at and that we wonder at again and again and again, and that we know for sure, for certain, for, with complete confidence that our God is for us. 1 Corinthians 1 says this, And because of God you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not confidence in myself, but confidence and boasting in the Lord. So that when you're not good enough, Christ is my righteousness. When you're not smart enough, Christ is my wisdom. I'm not good enough, but God has loved me and given himself for me in Christ. And in that, I can have confidence in the midst of the chaos. Listen to Samuel Rutherford. I love this quote. Oh, what a fair one. What an only one. What an excellent, lovely, ravishing one is Jesus. Put the beauty of 10,000, thousand worlds of paradises. Like the Garden of Eden in one. Put all trees, all flowers, all smells, all colors, all tastes, all joys, all sweetness, all loveliness in one. Oh, what a fair and excellent thing that would be. And yet, it would be less to that fair and dearest, well-beloved Christ than one drop of rain to the whole seas, rivers, lakes, and fountains of 10,000 earths. Oh, but Christ is heaven and earth's wonder. 
saying ten, the, the water of 10,000 earths does not compare, it's not a drop to the beauties and the wonder that we find in Jesus and the confidence we can have in God's love for us. This should give us confidence in the midst of the storms. That God is for us. What does this look like then? If you know that your value, your worth, your beauty, your reputation, your, even your future is tied to Christ, nothing can shake you. Your reputation is hidden in Him. You are God's beloved and nothing can take that away from you. You are in Christ. What this does is it simultaneously humbles you. Why would such a one die for me? But it also raises you up. Listen to what Keller says. The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. You don't have to prove yourself, your value to anyone, because your, your value has been proven by the love of God, your worth it also allows you to not take yourself so seriously. You're not crushed when you're criticized. You're not crushed when you're treated unfairly. You're not crushed when you continue to struggle with that same sin. Look, it's not too big for God to forgive. It is not that big a deal that God couldn't forgive it. He has in Christ. Martin Luther used to say this. My, one of my favorite things about Martin Luther is he always got in, you know, yelling battles with the devil. But he would say this. He said, if the devil comes to you and says, you are worthless. Look at what you have done. God shouldn't love you. Look at these things that you've done. You're worthless. He says, you say, say the devil, actually, you don't know the half of it. I am that bad and worse. You don't know my heart. <laughs> but... You have no say with me. You have to take that up with Jesus who is on the throne who gave himself and died for me. That's the only place you can take this. Finally, this produces long-suffering, patient trust in the midst of the storm. You can wait in the midst of the storm and hope. That's 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. We can have confidence that Jesus has secured our righteousness, our place with Him before heaven, but we can also be confident that Jesus is with us in the midst of it. Uh, a pastor friend of mine says, there's a reason why Jesus is always on, the, on a boat <laughs> in the midst of the waters. Because for the, for the Israelites, the, the waters was chaos. It was confusion. It was all that, that is, is misunderstood and, and uncertain in this life. And Jesus was always on a boat with his disciples, even sleeping. 
because he was confident and they could be confident because they were with him and Jesus is with you. Like God be for us, who could be against us? Or the psalm says, even if the mountains melt and the earth fades away, my confidence is in God. The Lord is of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So we can trust and obey, and we can leave the results to God. I hope this is a breath of fresh air in the midst of chaos, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of brokenness and cancer. God is our confidence. Spurgeon says this, this It is a song of cheerful hope. This psalm is a song of cheerful hope, well fitted for those in trial who have learned to lean upon the almighty arm. I'll close with this illustration. Um, Several weeks ago, um, during tornado season, uh, in a tornado watch, my wife and I decided to make probably the the wise parental choice to go to Target. (laughs) So we went to Target, and uh, it didn't look like it was too bad at the point, but as soon as we got in Target, the rain started coming down. And the rain started pouring down, and basically we looked for a few minutes, and then the sirens went off, and then over the loudspeaker, they start announcing, we need everybody to move to the back of the Target. So we walk ourselves all to the back of the Target. There's probably 200 people in the back of the Target. And you can hear the rain pouring on the roof and the storms surrounding us and just the frightful nature of everything that's going on around us. Even Catherine and I are a little bit nervous about What's the situation here? But my little daughter, who's 16 months old, you would have had, if you looked at her playing on the floor, you would have known that there was a tornado going on around us. She, she was confident because she was with her mom and her dad and trusting that they were for her. And we can trust and know that we are with God in the midst of the storms, even as they are loud and scary coming around us. God is with us in the midst of these things. God is our confidence, and we can put our trust in Him.